And so I asked them to do that last song. They haven't done that in probably a year. And they all kind of looked at me like, seriously, little especially. She was like, uh. But, but it's that song, the, the bridge in that song says, uh, will you sing it over me? As, if there's peace, if there's victory, will you sing it over me? And that comes from uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. And it's always been a, a really valuable verse to me personally, because in that verse, it says that, that the Lord exalts over us with singing. And as a dad, that's something I've always tried to do, usually when my kids are asleep, because I'm not a real good singer. So, but I'll, I'll try to sing psalms over them, sing over my kids while they sleep. And, and uh, I wanted to just share with you um, uh, something from my quiet time, and, and which kind of defeats the purpose of what I was saying earlier, like, I just had that morning with the Lord where he just taught me and now I'm sharing it, but I didn't prepare a sermon, so I'm just sharing it and uh, I can't help but, but just share just a couple thoughts from this and then, then we're going to stand and worship together and that's how we're going to end the day. But uh, in Zephaniah 3.17, this is the whole verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And I'd always kind of keyed in on that last phrase. He will exult over you with loud singing and and just kind of putting my own life under the microscope of God's word as a father and a husband I came to this text and and the Lord just kind of unpacked for me five truths to kind of examine my life with am, am I this kind of dad am I this kind of husband and you could do the same as a mother am I this kind of mother am I this kind of wife and I want to share those there's five lines in the verse the first one says the Lord your God is in your midst there is no power in the life of a spouse or a child like the power of presence. Like you're there, but you're really there. As a husband, I'm here, I'm, but I'm really here. You know what I'm saying? I, I can remember as a kid growing up, oftentimes my dad would be there, but he wasn't there. You with me? The power of presence, and we see this fleshed out at Christ's baptism when he's baptized and he comes up out of the water. And the, the dove descends, and you hear the voice of God literally from heaven say, this is my beloved son in whom, in whom I'm well pleased. So God is there. He makes his presence known. So it's the power of presence, but the power of presence made known. It's not just I'm physically here, but I'm making my presence known. I'm making my presence felt. To my wife, I'm making my presence felt. I, I want you to know that I'm here conversationally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm cultivating into those relationships, marriage and family and in the home. So it makes his presence known. The second line says, uh, a mighty one who will save. Second one is this, he guards his children and or we could, we could talk in terms of uh, our wives, our husbands. He guards them, their salvation, his highest goal. Their salvation, his highest goal. It says, a mighty one who will save. God's highest purpose for you and for me and for, uh, for our children is that they come to know him in a personal and saving way. It's the greatest task we have as parents. It's, as, as a mother or a father, it's not your job to uh, kind of hand your kid off to the student pastor and say, here, pray with my kid. I think she's ready to be baptized. But to, to live out the gospel and then invest the gospel in that child's salvation be your highest goal if you're in a in a marriage where maybe you're here with a spouse who's not a believer you're the greatest goal in your life and and i know you know this but as you pray and as you serve and as you live the greatest thing is for the salvation of that spouse or that child to become a reality but then also he shows himself strong in that romans chapter 1 verse 16 that 
the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. God shows himself strong in the gospel. So we want to show ourselves strong. It's important not just to have the power of presence and to be there and to make our presence known, but to show ourselves strong. God doesn't just make himself known. It's not, it's not just the still small voice that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's that God shows himself strong repeatedly in our lives. Repeatedly in our lives. He fights for us. He fights for us. In fact, he would even say to Israel, all you got to do is stand still. I'll fight for you. You just be still. I'll fight for you. God fights for us. He fought for our salvation. He fights for our sanctification. He fights for our eternal glorification with him. He fights for us. I think a lot of times maybe what we need in marriage is more fight, the right kind of fight. We'll fight for the things that matter and against the things that are coming to attack. I had a pastor friend call me. This has been a couple weeks ago, and you guys that know me will probably get a kick out of this, but he said, he said, I'm counseling a couple, and they're in their early 30s, and they've got two kids, and um, she has just had uh, an affair. This is the sixth affair, and, and she, what she did was he had taken the kids on an overnight camp out, and she brought a coworker over to the house, and, and he said, this is like a 19-year-old kid, and he mm-hmm. said, I don't know what to tell this guy. So I asked him a few questions. You know, what's this guy? How's he lead? What does it look like in the home? What is their relationship like? She's, she's obviously got, uh, you know, an addiction, an issue. So we're kind of working through it. And long story short, at the end of the conversation, I said, all right, I'll tell you what I would tell him. He said, what? I said, I would tell him to go to the workplace uh, about quitting time and drag that 19-year-old boy out by the hair of his head and whip his tail in the parking lot. <laughs> and here's what's going to happen. He's going to do him a favor. Because he's going to teach him a lesson that's really valuable at this point in his kid's life to learn. And he's going to show his wife, hey, there's a point where I'm just going to fight for you. And the pastor pastor said, can I say that? I said, if you can't, tell him to call me. (laughs) And I'll be glad to talk to him. If you feel like your job's on the line. Because I'm at a point where I feel like there's this lethargic view of God that leads to a lethargic view of Christ, this kind of passivity that's not where passivity belongs. There's a place for passivity in the life of the Christian. Absolutely. We're to hold our peace. We're to be peacemakers. We're to be meek. We're to be gentle spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind. But when it comes to your marriage, there's a time to fight emotionally, spiritually, and if necessary, physically to preserve. God has done all of that for us. He has fought for our salvation. It is a hard-earned, blood-bought, Calvary-wrenched salvation. It didn't come easy. Your salvation, my salvation did not come easy. And Christ continually fights for us. He he mediates. He goes before the Father. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. And so God makes his presence known through salvation. And he he, he shows himself strong in that. It's an act of strength. And, and there's no greater compassion and peace and gentleness than that which comes from a position of strength. When a king shows grace and gentleness, there's weight behind that over against when a nun shows gentleness and peace and meekness. You see pictures of, of American soldiers down on a knee holding a, a child in Iraq or Afghanistan, and there's a picture there that's got weight behind it because it's from a position of strength that this child is receiving this moment of nurturing and gentleness and so from a position of strength we nurture and we love and we care the third thing he says is 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He delights in them. Does your husband know that you delight in him? Does your wife know that you delight in her? Just that you delight in her. You take pleasure in her, in the relationship. You take pleasure in him as you delight in him. Is, is, uh, there's a, uh, someone asked me, um, I, was, I, I was reading a Tim Keller book. I don't know if you know Tim Keller. He's a pastor in, uh, up in New York City and I think in Manhattan. He wrote a book on marriage uh, a few years ago. And he, he talks in there about, um, and it was like the most libera- liberating thing when I read this. He said, uh, people ask him, um, you remember the first time you held your wife's hand or do you remember the first time, you know, you guys kissed or you remember the first time you hugged her and there was physical um, interaction? And he said, of course I remember that. And, and uh, then the question was then, does it still feel like that? And he said, of course not. And, and, I, and I thought, oh. Uh, and then I thought, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, I, and I've always felt guilty for that. But then he just explained it so well. He said, the reason it doesn't is because there's a maturity and a depth. There are other things that are much deeper than that that drive and motivate you in the bond, in the relationship. Deep delight, not, you know, I, still, I still like to hold my wife's hand. All nine fingers that she's got. I love holding all nine fingers. I mean, I like to hold her hand. But it doesn't do the same thing. And he made, an, uh, he made such a good point. He said, it's because early on when you got the butterflies and the fireworks are going off, it's because... It's self-serving. You're realizing this person actually likes me. And it kind of fuels your ego. And that's as much of, a, of, of an excitement as anything. And so as the relationship matures, we got to work and make it very intentional to show delight. To show this person, yeah, I delight in you, man. I, like you're, you're a big deal to me. You're a big deal to me. I, I mean, I, I really like you. Ever, ever hear somebody say, well, I love him, but I don't like him. Oh, no, well, that's the dumbest, one of the dumbest things I've heard ever in my life. I, I wanna, so so it, there, there is great joy in knowing that God delights in us. And so we should delight in one another. Fourth thing, there's five. Fourth thing, he'll quiet you by his love. He gives them stability and peace. The Lord gives his bride and he gives his children stability and peace and so we should work to provide a relationship and a home of stability and peace not instability not instability we're going to really unpack that in the in the message tomorrow morning where i'm showering this person with grace think about this morning in the session that where we're pouring out and in turn it draws in so there's this there's this stability and peace that comes from the relationship and the last one he will exult over you with loud singing. He sings over us. And I don't expect you to sing over your spouse. That might be offensive to your spouse anyway. Um, but the idea is that literally there's an overwhelming sense of thanksgiving and joy and worship that comes from this, this great gift of marriage. It's just, it's just awesome to think about. I, I love when uh, Jared was up here doing his show and, and – uh, I, I was in and out, in and out, because we, we brought Mo and Juju. Some of you had wanted to see him, and so Kilby, my oldest, was downstairs with the two of them. She had them downstairs, and so I, I slid out to go see Mo, and uh, I, walk in the, I walk in the office downstairs, and I start doing this just stupid beatbox 
thing and he just starts dancing. He does this one dance. He just goes crazy. And I'll just sing and just saying, it's not really singing. It's more like chanting and he's going crazy. And, and I always have gotten such a kick out of singing over my kids. Um, I can remember when, when one of my daughter, my middle daughter, Laylee, I remember driving down the road, we'd been to get ice cream one day and driving back and I'm just making up a song as we go, I make up these songs and sing them to her. And, and, uh, I did that more with her really than any of the others. And, it was just kind of our thing, and, and she, she just laugh, and I'd say, are you, are you laughing because of the words I'm making up, or are you laughing because I sing so bad? She said, it's just all really funny, and, uh, and I think, you know, there's this, there's this idea that God sings over us, and the, and the idea is not that we then need to go sing songs to one another. The idea is singing in Scripture always represents exaltation and exaltation and praise and thanksgiving and, and worship to the Lord. And so the idea is we need to worship together as husband and wife. One of the things we want to cultivate in your relationship over the course of this weekend is that you're worshiping together. And again, our family worship is primarily done around the reading of Scripture and, and, and the teaching of Scripture and, and, and thinking on these things. We don't sing as a family just because we've tried it and it's awkward. It doesn't really work for us. Some families it works. Um, well, you'd think it would work. I'm, I'm in a musical family, but it doesn't work. Everybody just kind of ends up giggling, and, and uh, probably because of me. Um, but but the, the idea there is what singing represents in Scripture. You know, when you see the throne of Christ, you see songs being sung. And to, then to hear that God is literally singing over us, the song that we have in our hearts, He puts in our hearts. And so the idea is that, that it's a... It's a, a relationship where worship is normative. It's normal. It's what we do. We worship together in church and in the home. And, and when we're in the car, we're speaking, on the thing, speaking of the things of God. And, and, and the Word of God is central to our conversation. It's so important. So anyway, I want to share that with you. It's something that the Lord has challenged me with over the last couple of weeks that I really want to strive to do and be these five things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to close the night with, with, I think, three songs. We're going to stand and just have a time of worship together as, as the Lord exalts over us with singing. We're going to sing in thanksgiving and praise because of, of the fact that He is God, and specifically and pointedly this weekend, because He has given us this great gift of marriage as a catalyst to, to bring Him glory and reflect His glory. So pray with me. Lord, we love You, and we thank You for uh, the great gift of song, the great gift of music, we thank you for your word that is uh, the stabilizing ballast in our lives. God, you bring stability to our lives through your word. And as we are rooted and built up in your word, in Christ, then we're going to have healthier, stronger marriages. I pray that we would be husbands that reflect the glory of God. I pray that the ladies here would be wives that reflect the glory of God. I pray that we would parent our kids and our stepkids in, in a way that reflects the glory of God and we would honor you in our homes and our relationships. So we want to end this day with a time of worship to you because you're worthy of praise, because you bought us with your blood, and because, Lord Jesus, in your name, we can come to the Father and pray and sing and worship literally in the throne room of heaven. We are ushered in. And so I pray you'd clear our hearts, our minds right now, and enable us to have a song in our hearts as we turn our focus heavenward in song, I pray that we would sing as we've never sung before. In Jesus' good name we pray. Let's stand together.